Well, we're going to start a new teaching series today. We're going to be studying the life of Joseph. And so um, I'm excited to kind of dig into Scripture today. How many of you brought your Bibles? I tried to get on social media and say, you're going to need it today. But if you didn't bring your Bible, there's Bibles in the pews. There's some um, black hardcover ones that will be the NIV version. Yes, the teenagers are all showing me their phones. Your phones will actually work as well um, for the Bible on there. But not in heaven, your phones won't. I don't know. I don't know. That feels like theology I'm not ready to commit to yet. So. Um, So turn to Genesis chapter 37. We are going to be studying this amazing story um, on the life of Joseph. Um, one of the incredible characters that we find in Scripture. And we're going to take a few weeks because, man, does this guy have a whole lot of stuff happen. Over and over, we see the life of Joseph just go through story after story. Now, the story of Joseph is told from Genesis 37. So this is the very first book in the Bible. So if you're new to looking stuff up, it's right at the beginning. And you can always take the time to turn to the table of contents if you're not sure where something is. But this one's easy because Genesis is right at the beginning. And so So you're going to go to the big number, 37, and that's where the story of Joseph begins. And it goes all the way through chapter 50. And this is the last story that we read in the book of Genesis. And the next book of the Bible is Exodus. And that talks about the people exiting Egypt years later. Um, And the story of Joseph is how the people of Israel actually got to Egypt. I think it took me a long time to put those two together. I learned a lot about Moses and the people of Israel leaving Egypt, but I never quite put together, how did they get there? Well, that's the story of Joseph. Tells us how the people of Israel ended up getting to Egypt in the first place. But the story of Joseph is also the story about a family. The story of Joseph is about a family. It's not just about him. It's about his whole family, his whole legacy, and how God used one person in this big, huge, dysfunctional family to change all of them. How God, there are so many ins and outs of the story, so many sidelines and insights and problem after problem and dysfunction after dysfunction, and yet God is working through all of it to craft an incredible story of redemption. And the truth is, God is doing the same thing in your life. He's weaving together all the pieces of your story. The good stuff and the hard stuff, the bad stuff, all of it comes together. God doesn't waste any of it. Sometimes we think, well, now I'm going through a bad time, so that's kind of now, oh, I wish I didn't have that part of my story. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that God takes those threads of good things, takes those threads of hard things, takes your history where you come from, the healthy parts of your history, and the dysfunctional parts of your history, and he weaves it together with your future, and he creates something unique and beautiful out of every one of our lives. He takes the pieces of your choices, and he takes the pieces of the behaviors of others that you can't control, and yet you're affected by their choices. And we see this in the life of Joseph, that God took all of these circumstances And he crafted and he wove them together to create this beautiful narrative and the story of how God redeemed this family and brought life to them. So we see God uses all these things. And it reminds me of one of my favorite scriptures, Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is such an amazing verse. God works all the things of your life together 
the good, the bad, the hard, the beautiful, and the ugly. He takes all of those pieces and he weaves them together to make something beautiful. So we're going to see God weaving together the story of Joseph. We're going to see God weaving together the story of his brothers. We're going to see God weaving together the story of his father, Jacob. And we're going to see how God used this whole family to weave together the story of his people. A good chunk of this Bible is about the children of Israel. That's the sons of Joseph. So Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob ends up being called Israel. So when you hear people talking about the children of Israel, we're talking about all these sons and daughters. So this is an amazing. Now let me tell you first, this family is a hot mess. Like, I kept reading, and I'm like, oh, 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 wow. I mean, this story is really interesting. They are so messed up and dysfunctional, and we see how their dysfunction tries to derail all of them over and over and over. But you know what? It makes me so grateful that God includes dysfunctional people in Scripture. They are not a whole bunch of perfect people who did everything right, and so it all worked out perfectly. These are a whole bunch of people who did really dumb things, and they were handed a really, really hard history and difficult things. These, this is the story. We don't need to be perfect to have God putting together the story of our life. One of my commentaries said this, The Bible does not idealize its characters, but it lets us see the seamy side of the tapestry, that we may more plainly recognize the mercy that forgives and the mighty providence which works through such imperfect people. Isn't that great? God shows us this, dis this dysfunctional side so that we can see that the grace of God and the mercy of God is enough. No matter where you come from, no matter what your story is, the mercy of God is enough. So we get a glimpse into the imperfections of this family so we can be assured that God can also use us, even in our imperfections, if we keep our lives surrendered to him. So we're going to start in Genesis 37. I want to take a few minutes to kind of do a deep dive into the history and context of this family. Because it's going to help us understand a little more about the story. So Joseph, who we're talking about, his father was Jacob. And his father was Isaac, and his father was Abraham, okay? So a lot of us have heard the story of Abraham. You hear a lot, um, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham was the first, then Isaac was his son, and then Jacob. Now, Jacob was Jacob's father. Wait, Joseph's father, sorry. You guys, come on, get all my names together. Now, Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. Jacob and Esau have a really messed up history, these two brothers. Now, it says that inside their mother's womb, they fought. There's a part in scripture that she's like, what is going on? Because they were fighting inside of their mother's womb. And it was really uh, contextual of what was going to happen. And they said that Esau was born first, but Jacob was holding his heel as he came out. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to try and beat you. And that is the story of Jacob and Esau. Because the firstborn was the one that always got the birthright, got the inheritance. And from day one, Jacob was always trying to push himself above his brother and get the birthright. And eventually, Jacob tricks his father into blessing him instead of Esau. So now there's bad blood between the two. So Jacob runs away because his brother hates him so much. And Genesis 27, 41 says, Esau hated Jacob and planned to kill him as soon as their father died. Here's the first part of our lovely story in scripture of this patriarchal family. So Jacob flees to a distant land. 
and finds a relative named Laban. And this is where he meets the girl of his dreams. And her name is Rachel. Now he tells Laban that he will work for him for seven years if he can marry his daughter Rachel. So Jacob, he works for his seven years. And then the night of the wedding, Laban switches the girls and tricks Jacob into marrying her sister. And it says in scripture that Jacob woke up and realized he was with the wrong sister. I'm not sure how that can happen. I'm not sure how much celebrating Jacob did so that he was to the point where he wasn't sure which sister was with him. But apparently this is what happened or how, how covered her wedding dress was. I don't know. I'm not sure. But Jacob wakes up and realizes that he's with Leah. And he gets upset, and so he goes to Laban and says, what did you do? I worked for seven years to marry Rachel. And Laban goes, I know, but typically you should marry the firstborn first. So I see what you're saying, but if you'll work another seven years, you can have Rachel too. And so seven days later, he marries Rachel. This is the backstory. This is the context. So now we have this family dynamic that is working. So I want to show you a graphic that shows us Jacob's family, the children of Jacob. Okay, so first Leah, that was the first sister that he married. And over here is Rachel. These are the sisters who were married to the same man one week apart. Not because Jacob loved both of them, because he was tricked into marrying them. So Jacob marries Leah. They start having children. She has one child. And literally, it says in Scripture that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and so he opened her womb, and she started having children. And she named her firstborn son Reuben, which means the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Nice thing to name your son. So this is the dysfunction we're talking about. So Leah starts having babies. One, two, three, four, five. Rachel has no children. Rachel is having no children. And so she is so upset. So in Genesis 38, um, she says, you know what? Why can't I have a child? God, and, and she's yelling at Jacob about this. So she says, why don't you take my servant, Bilhah? And why don't you have children with her? And I'll pretend they're mine. So Jacob says, okay. So he starts having children with Bilhah. Okay. Then Leah starts, wait a minute. Now you're having babies with my, her servant. So now you have to have babies with my servant too. So Zippah jumps in here. And they start having children together. Rachel still hasn't had any. So at this point, there are ten. Okay? This is the dynamic of what is happening. And eventually it says, Rachel, God remembers Rachel and opens up her womb. And who is her firstborn son? Anybody know? Joseph. So as we start to read this, think of all that backstory, all that history, all that bad blood, all that jealousy, all that rivalry, and now we have a son who's the father's favorite because it's the first one born of the woman he really wanted to marry. And so we start to see now the dynamics that have been happening between the mothers and now the brothers. There's this this mess, right? This is the framework of the story of Joseph. This is the backstory of this family. So we can jump right into the scripture and miss the fact that this was already complicated. And if we think about all of the things that had played into this, it makes us start to realize, okay, this family history had created a climate 
for a lot of tough stuff. There was already a rough climate going on. And you know, I think with all of us, sometimes our history is playing more into our story than we even realize. Sometimes you're living a part of a story that somebody else started. Somebody else started this. This, is, this ain't nothing but a family thing. My grandpa was like that. My, my grandma, grandma was like that. My dad was like that. And now I find myself in these same things. Maybe you come from a complicated history. Maybe there's, you're replaying what was shown to you. And you don't even realize it. All of a sudden you're looking around going like, ah, I didn't think I was going to be like that. And yet here I am. And your, your, your history is following you. Where you're trying to work through a mess that somebody else created. Joseph is dealing with this situation where his brothers hate him. And they hated him from day one. Before he ever did anything to be hated. Just because of all of this mess. Because he was automatically singled out because of his parents' mess. And so just because... This is the story that was handed to you. It doesn't mean you're stuck with it because we see Joseph in the midst of all this mess rise above his story. Where you could easily look at Joseph and say, oh man, yeah, boy, he's going to be messed up. Look at what he was born into. There's some, the hand of God on Joseph's life and he makes decisions and choices to say, you know what? I'm going to choose something different. And you have that choice too. It doesn't matter what was handed to you. God can work through your situation. We watch Joseph as this young man in the middle of this big mess, and somehow he finds an anchor in his faith that makes him rock steady in the midst of all of this chaos. In the midst of all of these things, we see him continually coming back to God, asking God to help him, relying on the strength of God, making good choices when tempted, so there is something really important that we can learn from this. It doesn't matter where you came from. You have the power of God in your life to change your story. This is what God will do for us, no matter what your family looked like. There's a God who can reach into all that mess and become real to you and guide your life into something beautiful and redemptive. I know you know people like Joseph who came from a really crazy, chaotic life and somehow it's like there's a circle around them that has allowed them to emerge as a different person than what their environment was. And that's really what we see in the life of Joseph. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that God takes broken things and he makes something new out of them. So another thing interesting that I learned about the story of Joseph, these chapters, 37 through 50, they're different than every other chapter in the book of Genesis. Many scholars say that it has the same tone and emphasis as the other wisdom books in the Bible like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I thought this was so interesting. Now, wisdom books like Proverbs were written years and years and years later by King Solomon. It was written to show young people how to live a life of integrity, right? But Genesis is a part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses and handed down from generation to generation. But in some ways, the story of Joseph was meant to be a story that was told to young people of look at all he faced, and yet he made good choices. I thought that was so interesting, and as I dug deeper, in the story of Joseph, we watch a young man face a lot of the same struggles that all young people will face, and we watch his response. He's faced with those around him making bad choices and deciding whether or not he's going to participate. He deals with the jealousy and mistreatment of others. 
We see him face sexual temptation. We watch him navigate finding his purpose and place in God's big story and choosing in all these circumstances to live a life that honors God. So I think that's so interesting that before Proverbs existed, there was kind of this Proverbs in the life of story, uh, in the story of Joseph, that you could tell your children about someone who, as a young man in difficult circumstances, chose wisely. I thought that was really interesting. Okay, let's look at the stories. Starting in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. It says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. So right away we see something different about Joseph. That even though his family had all this dysfunction in it, there was something inside of him that chose integrity. When he watched his brothers doing wrong, he knew it was wrong, he called it as wrong, and he spoke up about it. Now, he was 17 years old when this happened. He saw his brothers behaving in a way that was bad, and so he went and talked to his father about it. Uh, The New Living Translation Study Bible says, bringing a bad report has never been popular, but it was the right thing to do, and it showed that Joseph was faithful from the beginning. As the story progresses, we see more of his brother's wickedness displayed until, like Cain, they tried to eliminate the brother that pleased God. So we see right away, already in the midst of people making bad choices, there was something about Joseph that was choosing integrity, was choosing the right thing, even though those around him were not. Moving on to verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Okay, now we all know the backstory of why Jacob loved Joseph so much. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, this always feels like a bad parenting moment to me, right? That in the midst of, now, maybe he had a preference for Joseph, but It felt like, okay, so I'm going to get you a beautiful coat of many colors and give it to you just to let everybody know that you're my favorite. I try and think of how that would go. Now, at our house, I say to Charlie, you're my favorite son, but Charlie is my only son. So that is the only reason that works. If I started doing that with my girls, I think that there would be a whole mutiny going on. And so it always felt like this is not a very nice moment. Why would he do that? And so as I began studying, I learned that giving a robe, was a symbol to demonstrate that he intended to grant the largest portion of the inheritance to Joseph. So putting a robe on him was saying, I'm saying that you are going to receive the largest point of my inheritance. Example, if it was in today's world, it would be a dad owns a company, and he has one son who's a chucklehead, and the other son is responsible And dad announces that he is going to leave the company in the responsible son's hands. Does that make sense? So what he was saying was, Joseph has proved something. This integrity, this right standing, I see something in him. Not only is he the son of my favorite wife, but 
I have to believe that at 108 years old, which is how old Jacob was in this moment, that there was something he was thinking about the future, and he was thinking of who is showing himself trustworthy and honorable and full of integrity. At this point, I believe that he was saying something about what was important to him, and that's why he gave him a coat of many colors. Now, this inflames the brothers, But we see then that God confirms this choice of the godly, integrous son as the future leader of the family by the dream that he gives Joseph. So we see this in verse chapter or chapter 37, verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. So this time, he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. In Bible times, dreams were how God communicated to people. So when God gave Joseph this dream, everybody that he told would take it seriously. They would see it as God having spoken directly to Joseph. And when God gave Joseph this dream, he was confirming what his father had set into motion with the coat. He was saying, yes, I affirm that because of your integrous attitude, and your desire to do right, that you will be the leader in your family moving forward. It was also the foreshadowing of what was going to happen at the end of the story. But I think it's so interesting that God took a moment to just say, yep, he's living a certain way, and I'm going to bless it, and I'm going to honor it. So this makes the brothers even more angry. The interesting thing to me is that they never made the connection that their behavior was part of the equation as to why they were passed over. Do you see that? They never locked into the idea of, well, why? Why? They just got madder and madder and madder and hated him more. They never had a moment where they said, I wonder why I got passed over. They never did that introspection. But the beautiful thing that happens about this story is by the end, by the time we get to chapter 50, we see that from the brothers. We see repentance. We see humility. We see a change of heart. We see a change of character. So God, in all of these things, and we're going to talk, we're going to do a deep dive into all of the different parts of Joseph. But the cool thing is God was using all of these things to bring them back to him. Now, we see that the brothers eventually recognize how their poor choices affected themselves and others. And God used Joseph to teach them that. Now, it was important that they learned these lessons, not just to become better people, but they had a legacy that was going to follow them. They were going to have children and descendants. God had a restoration story for all of them, 
not just Joseph. God wasn't just looking at Joseph and saying, okay, because you're upright, I'm going to bless you, and I'm forgetting about your rotten brothers. I'm just going to move over here. God is always working to bring restoration to everyone. God does not write people off. Now, it's true. There is a blessing for those that walk in integrity. And we see that, that at the end of the story, Joseph's sons are giving a double portion than the brothers are. But God was working this story to bring redemption to every single one of them, regardless of where they were. So he continues to pursue them, to create circumstances, to teach him about the heart of God, and to bring them back into a place where they love and serve God. And God uses the integrity and godliness of Joseph to change the hearts of the brothers back to the ways of God. Because God had a plan for all their lives. God doesn't write people off. Some of you need to hear that today. God doesn't write people off. No one. Not you, not that family member that you're thinking, how long? How long do I have to wait? Forever. God is working. He doesn't ever give up on people. And he keeps working to restore and bring them back to the heart of God. That is the truth of the gospel. I want to show you something really cool. Turn back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. This is back where God is speaking to Abraham for one of the first times, and he's making a promise to Abraham. He's taken him away from his homeland into this promised land and said, this is the land I'm going to give your ancestors. Now, at this point, Abraham doesn't even have a son yet. He doesn't have any descendants yet, but he's standing in this land, and God makes him a promise and says, your descendants are going to stand right here, and this is where they're going to live. And in verse 13 of Genesis 15, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. In this moment, God is telling the story of the children of Israel in Egypt 400 years before it would happen. Isn't that interesting? That God said, hey, Abraham, your descendants are going to come right back here. Now, there's going to be a detour. They're going to go away, and for 400 years, they're going to be slaves in another land. He doesn't say what land, but we know now that it was Egypt. But then they're going to come out, and they're going to come right back here again. I love that. I love that we can see that in Scripture. We can trace it all the way back. So fast forward 400 years. Moses has led the people out of Egypt we see that in Exodus 1. They've entered the promised land that God has promised them. They're standing back in the same place that Abraham was standing in when God made him that promise. And Joshua is now the leader, and he has conquered all the inhabitants of the land. So they finally made it. 400 years. They finally made it. So I want you to turn to Joshua in your Bible. So just keep going. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. It's right there. Joshua chapter 13. Now, I want you to just look here. I have to put my trifocals on, y'all. I want you to start in chapter 13, and it says Joshua distributes the land. So if you look at the heading there, you can look as we go through all the way from 13 to 22, you'll see different headings. And it says, 
The land is divided. So they're dividing the land now that God has promised to them. So um, it, over here it says the land that's given to the tribe of Reuben. Over here, the land that's given to the tribe of Gad. And it goes through that. Then it says the land that's given to the tribe of Manasseh. The land divided here. The land uh, given to the tribe of Judah. And it goes on. The land given to Caleb. The land given to Manasseh. The land given to Simeon. The land given to Benjamin. Do you recognize these names? Aha! Here's the brothers again. Okay, so let's put up that next picture. You guys, I came with artwork. The 12 tribes of Israel that we read about all through the rest of the Old Testament, look at the names. It's the brothers. It's those hot, mess, dysfunctional brothers. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the ones that everyone is put into. This is the land when they come back, they're all given their own portion of land. They're all the leaders. The tribe of Levi isn't on there because they weren't given land because Levi's uh, tribe was distinguished as the priests, so they wouldn't own their own land. Every tribe would set aside a portion of their own land for the Levite priests, so that's why you don't see Levi's name up there. Ephraim and Manasseh, those are Joseph's sons. Remember I said he got a double blessing? That's why you don't see Joseph, because God said, I'm not going to give Joseph land. I'm going to give both your sons land. He got a double portion because of his integrity. Judah ends up being the line that David comes through, and eventually the line of Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Now, Jeff's going to go into more of these stories, but let me just tell you, Judah at the beginning is the one saying, let's kill Joseph. And at the end, when they're standing in Egypt, Judah is the one, the most repentant on his face. And many scholars believe that's why he was singled out and that the, Jesus would come through his line because of his change of heart. So it's so interesting to me. I know this is very Sunday schoolish, you guys. But I want you to see the context of how this all comes together, of how important this was. This is the list of those rotten, horrible brothers who were so awful to Joseph. And yet, because Joseph remained full of integrity and chose to honor God with his life, not only was his story changed, they had a change of heart. By the end of the story, they're not the same brothers anymore. They're different. Joshua 21, 43 through 45, if you want to turn a couple more pages and see the end after Joshua distributes the land, it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. And everything he had spoken had come true. When I look back at Genesis 37 and I read the story of these young men, there's no way I would think everything God had promised had come true. I would have thought they've derailed all this. This is too big of a mess. And yet this is the truth of the gospel. God weaves our stories, the good the bad. He continues to pursue us. He brings circumstances in our lives to fulfill every promise. He fulfilled it to Jacob, to Joseph, to Abraham, and to these brothers. Now we're going to dive deeper into the aspects of this story over the next few weeks, but this is what I want to leave you with today. Number one, it doesn't matter 
what kind of dysfunction you come from. You do not have to repeat it, perpetuate it, or become a slave to it. I need you to hear that. It doesn't matter what kind of dysfunction you have seen. Do not let the enemy whisper in your ear that that you don't have a choice, that there's no way out of it, because that's a lie. God has a redemptive plan for your life. And we see in the life of Joseph that there was something about the hand of God on his life that made him rise above all of it. And you have the same story. Do not believe the lie that just because you come from dysfunction that you have to perpetuate that dysfunction. Second, God doesn't write off anyone. He will continue to orchestrate circumstances to bring you to a place of humility and repentance. Now, sometimes that's not very fun. (laughs) And sometimes I've prayed that prayer, Lord, all right, whatever you've got to do, Jesus, to get their attention. Prayed that for my kids. I've prayed that for some of you. I've prayed that for other people. Lord, whatever circumstances you need to do to just show us, to break those chains, Lord, do it. But we have to remember, God is always working. He doesn't write people off. And we shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. We look at the long road with people. And this is a core value at Homestead. We don't write people off here either. So you can come here, and we're going to love you for a long time as you're working through stuff. Because God doesn't write people off, and so we don't write people off either. And number three, if you make the choice to honor God, he will use your obedience and integrity to change the trajectory of your family. Because of Joseph, because he chose the right thing, there was an entire legacy that was changed. Jeff and I, every once in a while, go down to Teen Challenge, which is an adult um, drug and alcohol recovery group, and they have life training. For those that have gone through the program, they have a second phase where they do kind of life skills, and so they've asked Jeff and I to go for years, and we um, go and meet with their graduates and talk about legacy. And for most of the people in that room, all they've ever seen in their life is dysfunction. And we look at them in the face and say, but you're changing all of that. You're changing all of that. You're writing a different story for your kids. You're writing a different story for your grandkids. All it takes is one person to say, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to live a life that honors God. And not only will that change you, it will change everything around you. That's the story of Joseph, and that's the story for you. Just because it's what you were handed doesn't mean it's what you have to live out. And God will change your life and the lives of those around you when you surrender to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is just so full. Every sentence is so full of wisdom and knowledge for who you are, what you do, and what you want to do in our lives. And so, Lord, as we look at this story over the next few weeks, Jesus, I just pray that you would just open up our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, just illuminate your desire for each one of us. And, Lord, I want to pray for those here today that have been handed a tough legacy. Maybe nobody in this room even knows what they have endured in the past. And, Father, I pray that today every chain would be broken. Lord, every, um, every bent, every dysfunction, Jesus would be surrendered to you and that they would see that you have a new path forward, that you have freedom for every single one of them, that they can be the one that starts a new day 
and that those, those systems of dysfunction that have followed their family can be broken by one person saying, I choose to give my life wholly to Christ and allow him to do the great work of redeeming me, and I'm trusting him to change the whole legacy that I will leave behind. Lord, I pray for those people here today that you would just let something rise up in them today, just like in Joseph, that something rose up. Even when he was 17 years old, that when he saw the bad things his family was doing, there was something in him that couldn't stomach it. I pray, God, that that would be our story, that there would be something in us that just can't let it sit, that we would have to rise up against it, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in this place that have family members that maybe they want to give up on. It's been a long road. And although they love them dearly, God, they're tired. I pray today, God, that you would remind them that you are the God that changes stories and that you don't give up on anybody. And it doesn't matter how long it's been that you will continue pursuing them. You will continue orchestrating things to bring them back to your heart. And Lord, we just pray that you would do your good work in every family member represented in this place today. Lord, help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be people who love you. And help us to be people who live a legacy of faith and love for those coming behind us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.